This is a diet of Brussels. What's the UK asking for in the Article 50 negotiations? Well, here we are at the end of the uh, first bit of a week of the uh, Article 50 two-year period, um, which gives me a horrifying thought that there's another couple of episodes we're going to have to do before we get to the end of this. Anyway, let's uh, let's think about this. This week really matters, uh, just to underline that point, that uh, on Wednesday we had uh, the UK submit its formal notification. Uh, we've had a couple of other developments since, and I'm going to talk about those in, in other episodes. But what I want to talk about here is that notification letter, the letter from Theresa May to Donald Tusk uh, that was written on Wednesday. Now, this letter matters for a number of reasons. Firstly, because it is the official triggering uh, mechanism under uh, Article 50. So it's the one uh, formal step that all of the stuff we did beforehand uh, was leading up to. It's uh, what the whole uh, Supreme Court case was about, the Parliament bill and all the rest. Uh, you know, it's the technical uh, uh, commencement of that two-year period. So it's the point at which the, the clock starts ticking and, and just to clarify on this and I'm sure we'll come back to this in a couple of years time uh, it means that on midnight at the end of the 29th of March 2019 the UK uh, whether it has a deal or not uh, will be leaving the European Union so uh, that that matters because it starts the the timer. It also matters because it puts the UK into the process in a formal way, in a way that it hasn't been before. Which means that stepping away from that, stopping that, is that much more difficult to do. It's uh, it started rather than going to start. Now uh, we've talked about whether this process is reversible or not uh, before on this podcast and it's a, a long discussion and I, I think we'll need to revisit it uh, a bit further down the line when we've got some more from the uh, EU's institutions in the next uh, weeks and uh, month or so but uh, broadly speaking uh, starting the process means that it's more likely that the process will be finished and that the UK will leave. But finally, and most importantly, this letter matters because it's the last opportunity for Theresa May to set out her store, to set up her priorities, uh, her objectives, uh, and to shape the agenda. If you remember that Article 50 is about the U EU deciding on what terms it wants to let uh, a member state depart from the Union. It's not about a member state... Uh, picking up the uh, menu in the restaurant uh, and say, I'll have all of these things, please, uh, and getting them. Uh, it's rather about the, the restaurant saying, well, this is what's uh, on offer, take it or leave it. So once we get into this process, the UK has uh, a marked loss of power and of agency uh, in negotiations. And it's been clear that the UK has understood this, which is why it's taken its uh, time about getting going, because you may as well be clear about what you do and try and shape matters. Now, having said that, as we know from the Lancaster House speech, uh, the white paper at the beginning of this year, the UK hasn't really been very clear about what it does want, which is odd. Now, you might say that that's down to not wanting to show your hands too early, 
or be outmaneuvered before you've even begun. But I think actually it probably reflects uh, a degree of uncertainty on the part of the British government about what they're trying to achieve in this process. And if you take that reading, then the letter that we have here actually is both a confirmation of that, uh, but also something of a surprise. It's a confirmation in the sense that there isn't a lot of detail in this six-page letter. There were rumours uh, earlier in the week suggesting that there was a 100-page version that was uh, floating around, uh, but the government has gone for the shorter version, which is set around a, a number of principles. Now, those principles are primarily about process, and we're going to talk about those in a minute, but uh, it's not really uh, a lot of substantive things. The only substance really is that there's no desire to seek membership as a single market. Uh, there's a... Uh, interest in the uh, relationship between the UK and the uh, Republic of Ireland and there's mention of a uh, bold and ambitious free trade agreement uh, as part of the new relationship. But beyond that, very, very little. You know, all these things that Theresa May has talked about, about uh, stopping freedom of movement, uh, taking uh, the UK uh, legal system back uh, out of the uh, control of the uh, Court of Justice. All those things are really very much in the background of what comes. Now, uh, I think if we're, we're going to give the, the generous interpretation to this, that's because there is a recognition that in a negotiation like this, you don't actually want to be listing red lines and you know, specific points that you must agree and you must have, because that's a hiding to nothing. That's creating a whole series of hostages to fortune down the line, that uh, this is the trap that uh, David Cameron fell into with his renegotiation uh, at the beginning of last year, that he went out saying he was going to get A, B and C, uh, and then didn't get A, B and C, or even X, Y and Z, and then was roundly beaten about the head uh, with the results. So Theresa May has always uh, preferred to go down the uh, uh, more emotionally uh, driven route of we want to take back control and we want Brexit to mean Brexit and we want it to be red, white and blue and all the other things that sound nice but don't really mean anything. And the reason for that is clearly that uh, she doesn't know what's uh, going to be on offer for sure. She doesn't know... Uh, the full dimensions of what's involved. So it makes sense to say, well, let's try and just take this uh, at the level of the, the core interests. And in that sense, the letter that we have makes perfect sense. Now, uh, the, the structure of it is slightly unusual. She spends about a page talking about how the UK has come to reach this decision and the steps that have been taken, uh, which is hardly uh, a secret or has been kept away from anyone. But instead, there is uh, uh, the body uh, focusing on a set of seven principles that uh, they suggest might help make the processes as smooth and successful as possible, to use uh, May's words. So let's just think a little bit about what uh, each of them are. The first principle is that we should engage with one another constructively and respectively in a spirit of sincere cooperation. Now, this is uh, a process issue, really. This is about saying uh, we've had interactions already, that we've uh, talked uh, a bit, although the EU was very careful not to engage in negotiations previously. And as a result, uh, we're not going to try and uh, 
go to uh, unpick the single market and you know uh, single out the freedom of movement of people from the other four from the other three freedoms uh, and uh, we're not going to engage in cherry picking now that cherry picking is a really key phrase because that's the phrase that Angela Merkel has repeatedly used in her comments on Brexit that the integrity of the single market is a core German interest and indeed a core interest of the uh, European institutions. And uh, well, for outside observers, it never looked realistic that the UK could get a, a special deal with part uh, of the four freedoms, but not all of them. Uh, quite apart from the uh, economic illiteracy of that as an idea, uh, it just simply wouldn't fly politically. So uh, this is the point at which the UK is saying that it's not seeking membership of the single uh, market, it's not trying to break up the four freedoms, and that as such we uh, are going to have to have some flexibility. So already showing that there has been a degree of understanding on the part of the UK, rather than starting off with strong words and uh, bold claims. The second principle is that we should always put our citizens first. Now, uh, at one level this is a, a fairly banal kind of political point because politicians always end up having to think about their citizens because citizens are all also voters. But uh, this is really a point uh, uh, for just saying that the whole issue of EU nationals in the UK, UK nationals in the EU is uh, a substantial issue and deserves uh, early agreement to, uh, to echo the words of the letter. Now this matters because this has been one of the key uh, points of concern in the UK and in the EU about what to do with this. Everyone has said that they want to get this resolved early, but whether you can resolve anything early in comparison to the rest of the uh, discussions uh, is completely unclear. Is this a side deal? Is this just we get an agreement in principle early on and then we go off and do the other stuff? This matters because general principle in this kind of a negotiation is that nothing's agreed until everything's agreed. And even if you do get an agreement, say, next week, saying that uh, we respect the rights of uh, all of these uh, nationals uh, in the different countries, uh, until you've got pen to paper and you've got a legal text, uh, that is essentially meaningless as a promise. Third point is that the UK says we should work towards securing a comprehensive agreement. Now, that uh, matters because this is about the uh, uh, debate between having a sequential nego negotiation and a parallel negotiation. Remember that Article 50 is about, the U about a member state leaving the EU. It also makes reference, though, to the discussions about creating a new relationship with that departing state. Now, that has been taken in European circles broadly to mean that you deal with the departure and then you talk about the new relationship. From the UK's point of view, though, keeping those two things together makes sense. Firstly, because it is a question of disruption. Uh, we'll talk about that because that's the next principle. Uh, that, you know, it's a member state it already meets all of the EU's uh, uh, conditions and criteria because it's a, it's a compliant member state. 
Uh, and also because this new relationship law almost certainly had to be agreed under unanimity rules rather than the qualified majority of Article 50. Now that matters because it means that uh, no one state can block the departure uh, agreement. But if you start pulling in other stuff, then potentially somebody's going to go to the Court of Justice, get a ruling that this is a mixed agreement, at which point it will become unanimity. And uh, that potentially changes the dynamic of discussions of who needs to be brought in uh, uh, and around the table. But uh, this is the best opportunity for the UK to uh, uh, get uh, agendas rolling. Potentially it's a way of opening the door to saying, even if we can't get everything done in Article 50, we can think about setting out the framework for the new relationship discussions uh, as we uh, continue. Now I've mentioned disruption and this is the fourth principle that we should work together to minimise disruption and give as much certainty as possible. Now this is about citizens, this is also about businesses. The concern that the UK is starting to have, uh, and it's much, very much more a UK concern than an EU concern, is that there is a cliff edge, uh, and that very word is used. Uh, that uh, at the point the UK leaves, suddenly we end uh, up standing uh, in the middle of nowhere, not really sure about what legal basis we're operating on, who's doing what and what have you. Now, the UK can do some things. It's got its great repeal bill, which I will talk about another time, uh, which tries to sort of do the UK end of things. But actually, it makes sense to uh, put in place an agreement about what happens after uh, the 29th of March uh, 2019. It's only... Principle five that we get to something that looks more obviously substantive, and that's we must pay particular attention to the UK's unique relationship with the Republic of Ireland and the importance of the peace process in Northern Ireland. Now, as we've uh, talked about before, the Irish Northern Irish border is highly problematic. That there are no good uh, solutions that respect both EU membership, UK's departure and the terms of the Good Friday Agreement. <clears throat> What's interesting here is that the UK frames this very much in terms of the peace process um, rather than uh, the economic consequences, which are going to be very substantial, uh, however this is done. Um, but again, highlighting the importance of peace uh, in Northern Ireland, uh, the role that uh, free movement uh, has uh, between those two countries, um, and really just kind of putting that on the table. Now, that's partly to uh, reassure the Irish and indeed the Northern Irish that this is uh, a key agenda point. But what's telling is that there is no proposal about how you resolve this uh, particular issue. And uh, I think there will be a degree of frustration in Dublin and indeed in Belfast about the lack of concrete ideas that come uh, at this point. Principle number six is, uh, again, a process issue. We should begin technical talks and detailed policy areas as soon as possible, but we should prioritise the biggest challenges. Now, this is the point at which the free trade agreement uh, is uh, mentioned, uh, 
but uh, given the substantive nature of that, that looks like a very big piece of work. Remember that the uh, CETA agreement between the EU and Canada, which uh, finally came into force back in uh, the spring, took seven years to negotiate and to ratify. And we're talking here about something that looks much more ambitious, much more comprehensive, um, which has to be fitted into this two-year period. Now, uh, whether that's a realistic aim is uh, hard to know. And again, this goes back to this uh, parallel uh, versus uh, sequential uh, argument that the EU might simply say, well, we're not talking about this at all until you've sorted out the housekeeping, the financial liabilities and all the rest. But the UK clearly wants to advance this agenda, wants to push forward on this. And the more that it can get people talking about it, then uh, the better it will be for uh, advancing its interests. But again, not a huge amount of detail about what this might mean. And then we come to the final principle, which is a, a rather odd one, certainly in a British context. We should continue to work together to advance and protect our shared European values. It's maybe worth just reading the rest of what that principle says. Perhaps now more than ever, the world needs the liberal democratic values of Europe. We want to play our part to ensure that Europe remains strong and prosperous and able to lead in the world, protecting its uh, values and defending itself from security threats. Now, this is the kind of language that the UK almost never uses. It has never been comfortable talking about European values or issues in that kind of way. Instead, it's always been much more instrumental or utilitarian in its conceptualization that this is a project for trade and for uh, cooperation, and that there's not really anything deeper behind it. Now, uh, my view of that would be that this is uh, a sop to the negotiations once again. Let's just remind ourselves that we're not so different and that we recognise this too and uh, perhaps we can all just get along and find a nice agreement to uh, sort this out. But it's telling that, again, this is uh, the sixth uh, principle that focuses on the process. This is about how we go and do things. A couple of other points that have come up really since this letter came out. One of the things was the mention of the potential uh, uh, for some kind of a threat that comes in uh, here. Maybe just read this section as well to you. If, however, we leave the European Union without an agreement, the default position is that we would have to trade on World Trade Organization terms. In security terms, a failure to reach agreement would mean our cooperation in the fight against crime and terrorism would be weakened. Now, this has been taken very much as a threat, extortion, blackmail, uh, that, uh, you know, we've got a nice little thing going on here and it'd be a shame if it got damaged kind of thing. But this is, uh, well, if this is what it is, uh, and I think the UK would be foolish to play that card, uh, it doesn't look very credible. The UK has always been at the forefront of security cooperation in Europe. It's a globally interested uh, player in this matter, whether that's through NATO, through Five Eyes, through uh, uh, all the stuff that it has done uh, over the decades. That uh, security has been a key driver in uh, the role that the UK has played in European integration. For the UK then to turn around and say, well, we're going to let uh, international terrorists get a free pass 
because we're not getting the agreement we want here simply doesn't sound reasonable uh, or indeed likely. Uh, that The outcry that you can imagine from uh, the Tory press, from Tory backbenchers, would be uh, unbearable, even for uh, someone like Theresa May, who has uh, demonstrated a degree, degree of resilience against that uh, press so far. So uh, I think the, the purpose of this should be more to remind everyone that the UK still does have important things uh, it does in a European context that aren't about trade, and this potentially is the basis for working together to uh, continue that cooperation rather than a threat that the UK will throw its uh, toys out of the pram. All of this then is a gambit. This is the starting point for the UK. Uh, that 100-page letter that I mentioned before suggests that there is uh, a much more detailed negotiation brief that's been pulled together by Number 10 and by Dexu. Uh, and uh, doubtless we will see much more of that detail as we move towards things. However, this simply takes us into the next phase of what's coming. We now wait for the uh, draft uh, guidelines from Donald Tusk, the European Council President, which will then go to be discussed uh, in the light of comments from the European Commission, which will be coming out shortly. Uh, in light of the European Parliament's resolution, which will be debated uh, next week. And uh, we have uh, a European Council meeting of the 27th on uh, the 29th of April, so exactly a month after this letter, which will reach a, a final agreement uh, on the uh, negotiating position of the EU. And then, after we've done that, we still need to go and do a... Uh, process with the Commission to agree the uh, specific negotiating brief that will be agreed. So we're still some months out from uh, the start of negotiations, but for now the UK has to more or less sit on its hands and wait and see what the 27 uh, and the EU institutions say. As that comes through, I will talk about that some more, but until then uh, I shall say goodbye.